On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we'll be brightening your day with a show that Boyd described to me over email as, and this is a quote, one of the most depressing things I've ever seen, but important. Important there was in capital letters. Uh, we'll also be coming in from the cold for season three of Fortitude and breaking out the proper lols for the second outing of the marvellous Mrs. Maisel. Not to mention combing through the week's telly news and giving you a few choice recommendations from our respective box set collections. I'm James Dyer, and you have once again opened your unwitting ears to an hour of uncensored televisual evangelising. Like Sabrina Spellman, I've spent the last seven days channelling the dark arts to conjure forth demonic entertainment from the deepest fathoms of the abyss. And, as Sabrina herself would tell you, that kind of activity is always helped by the presence of an animal familiar. To that end, I am once again joined by two magical sidekicks. First up, the black cat of the pilot podcast. She's small, she scratches, and you sure as hell wouldn't want to cross her. It's Terry White. <laughs> that may be the nicest thing you've ever said about me. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> I mean, um, I didn't say thank you, but there you no. go. Okay, fine. Well, joining Terry in my mystical menagerie is Pilot's very own Niffler, a man who hoovers up episodes of television like so many shiny objects. It's Boyd Hilton. Hello, thank Boyd. Thank you very much. Do you like nifflers? Yes. Who doesn't love a niffler? Who doesn't? Who I mean, doesn't love a niffler? Yeah, I'm happy to be a hoover. Okay, good, good. I oh, think. Now that we've got that out of the way, shall we get into who's been watching what? Yes. What have you been watching, Terry? So, it was the final um, of the three-part Louis Theroux documentary series, Altered States. This has been a roller coaster of a journey I've taken the, uh, the pilot TV listeners on because the first one... <laughs> I was underwhelmed by the second one I loved and it finished with Take My Baby, which is um, he was looking at open adoption in California and the very kind of very different circumstances which lead to somebody either uh, essentially selling their child or buying one. And it followed uh, couples who were kind of at various stages of that, some of whom um, were successful, some of whom weren't. And it was heartbreaking and touching and rather grim in places. And actually, it was probably the best of the three. It kind of ended on a on a high. Um, and those final two, I have to say, I still have my issues with the first one, but those final two were brilliant. I still think that series as a whole has just problems in terms of uh, thematic links. I think it was really hard for your average person to understand what they were getting every week. And it's like three kind of quite random things that are just linked by the fact that they uh, happen in America. But um, I really loved the last two, and I'd really love to see more kind of in those vein. Good. Did you watch it, Boyd? I did, and I agree. I think both of those last two, um, and I agree, the first one was kind of just a lighter thing, wasn't it? Mm. And it felt you didn't. He didn't really get. To, he just didn't get to the crux of the matter. Where yeah. I think he did totally crux it in the second two, and um, crux the fuck crux out the of it. MF, yeah, exactly. And so yeah, and they showed how how fantastic he is at doing what he does, and and just really getting deeply into the situations of those people, the desperation. Yeah. yeah. Some of the women, there was a woman, a drug, well, potentially a recovering drug addict, somebody who was still very much in the life. Um, And I thought his handling of her in particular, there was one scene where you knew she was high and you knew that she'd kind of, you know, was 
probably not going to give the couple who she'd been um, uh, trying to kind of negotiate this open adoption with, it wasn't going to be a happy ending for them. And he kind of just, he asked her a few questions. They were at this gas station together and it was him in to a T really because he handled it so delicately. Mm. It would have been really easy to go in kind of really heavy handed, be massively judgmental. As the viewer, you're kind of screaming at the telly and the way he just handled her and still with respect, you know, even if she she is a drug addict, that she is a human being who deserves understanding and kind of that perfect balance he does of empathy but also really kind of not being scared of going and showing the truth I mean there was a moment where I thought is he actually going to speak to her in this state are they going to keep filming and he just kept he just stood there and stayed with it I think this has been really the last two have been him at his best as a documentary maker sounds extraordinary i absolutely would have watched that unfortunately i couldn't because it was absolutely necessary for me to binge watch all of season three of the last kingdom oh yes really glad someone is it was extraordinary i had the best time watching this this week i enjoyed it enormously i've also really enjoyed its migration to netflix because it feels much more like a streaming format now like every episode runs straight into the next one to absolutely encourage the binge viewing and it's just so much fun and he is brilliant so my viking accent had a lot of uh, a lot of work out this week i'm feeling faintly bereft like i need i need some new new norse in my life i feel you know i need to be able to sort of yeah. keep on the accent no, i've gone what welsh was that? what <laughs> was that what have you seen? The, the famous Welsh the Norse. Welsh Vikings. Yes. Oh no, uh, my God. It, it comes and goes, but I think, again, that's in keeping with the show, so that works out quite well. What about the actual Vikings show, which is still running on? See, I, I watched Amazon? Vikings for years, but right. when, uh, when Travis Fimmel left, I kind of lost the will to go on with it because oh, okay. he was the best thing in it. Um, also, it got a bit daft, whereas uh, Last Kingdom is great. Also, so this is the end of season three. They've been doing roughly two of Bernard Cornwell's books per season. So we're six in, and he's written nine of the bastards. So actually, we got loads of this to come, and I cannot wait. Blimey. Also, all of the Vikings have the best names, and it's made me realise that we, as you know, English people, have really shitty monikers like Terry. I mean, what's yeah. wrong with my name? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's Charming. just a bit inane. Like and, Terry, like, inane. It is. Oh, it is. Like, Terry. And, and, sorry, James. This is what I'm saying, James. What does that even James? mean? Nothing. You know, whereas, like, if I was saying, "Hi, I'm presenting the Pilot TV podcast. My name is Kiatan of Beppenberg." Do you know what I mean? That's really authoritative. But like, what do you think called... it is to them? Do you, do you know what I mean? Maybe they're having the same conversation. Maybe they're like, "Actually, we wish we were called Terry and James." You're saying like Kiatan is Norse for Keith. Yes, exactly. Oh, I just love it though. Like, you know, they've got names like Seagood Blood Hair and like Knut, which is an anagram of cunt. But nevertheless, it's still Whoa. a good name. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm 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 a big 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 fan of this stuff. I think it's great. Vikings for everyone. So I enjoyed that. That's basically what I did this week. Though I would like to to do a very brief shout out and say for those people who have been ignoring us and not watching the new season of The Walking Dead, this is the best it's been in as long as I can remember. But isn't it now on hiatus? It is now right, on hiatus. Right, right, so yeah. you literally can't yeah. watch it at this yeah. point. However, <laughs> yeah, however, yeah. <laughs> good recommendation. However, Classic James. Isn't yeah. does this fall into the perfect Venn diagram of James Dyer? Yeah, you yeah. can't watch it. Yeah, it's not on, yeah. and nobody else is talking about it. So therefore, James would like to go on about it for the next seventeen minutes. I mean, exactly. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it could do with more Vikings than it has but nevertheless so it was the mid-season finale last Monday after the last podcast and we first introduced we got introduced to the Whisperers but more than that like the dynamics between the characters have got really 
interesting because the six-year gap has really changed it. And it hasn't felt this fresh in a long time. So I'm, I'm all about The Walking Dead at the moment. If you did not watch this season, it is almost certainly available on uh, catchy, catch yucky, up. sky atlantic streamy, whatever Fox. it is that they do. <laughs> Fox yeah. is catchy. I don't know. Yeah. It's available on the interwebs yeah. somewhere. Watch it. So, Boyd. Yes. You did must anyone, have watched something. Did anyone finish Blood, the Sophie Petzl five-part that was on Channel 5? No. no. Okay, I did, and it's and even better than we thought it was. I think we all liked it, mm-hmm. the first couple, however many we watched. Um, but I finished the whole thing, and it, it, the twists and turns are fantastic. Honestly, this has actually ended up being in the top ten, maybe, of my TV dramas of the year. Um, really strong, just unexpected. I mean, mm. It's really hard to do that, I think. Unexpected plot twists that you don't see coming. Compelling, believable characters, great dialogue, um, and surprisingly moving in the end. I thought I was really mm. moved by it. So I really urge people to catch up with that. That should be on Channel Five Catch Up. Hopefully, I and mean, if Channel Five's Catch Up service runs the same way as everyone else, they should surely. Yeah, I'm sure it's keep around. all five. And it is on DVD. It is I think my well. five. Yes, and it's right, on uh, because she actually the writer has yeah. written for Empire ah. um, of the magazine um, this month, and it is out on my five, and it's also out on, on DVD. The DVD. Excellent. Oh, and one other thing, another documentary. Hotel, has anyone, did anyone see? It started last night. Recording this on Friday. It goes out Thursday's BBC Two, a hotel for the rich and famous. What? This is a documentary about the Corinthia Hotel, which is, we've, I'm sure we've all been to I mean, many a junket. By Charing Cross. By, yeah. yeah. It's where the Empire Awards after party oh was. Oh my for God. Years. It, it's that important. It's where the Empire Awards after party <laughs> was. Loads of movie junk and TV junkets are there. So we often, people like us, Media types. people like us, wankers. giant media. raving, raving, wankers. raging bellends, media twats, bell-ends. bellends have to go there and interview people for yeah. ten minutes at a time. Anyway, this is all about the workings. It's, do you remember the documentary about Claridge's Inside Claridge's? This is the same, the same producer director Jane Trees who did that is now doing is now made this documentary series about the workings of the Corinthia. It's fascinating. I love a great hotel. I love a documentary <laughs> about a great hotel even more. Price. And she it's gets niche. <laughs> honestly. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing better than a do- hotel-based documentary. You've got, you've got to check it out. She interviews the staff, ranging from the youngest, this lovely 16-year-old who's there, who kind of is like, helps out, has to be sent to Harrods to pick up coats for ludicrously rich people. And she inter- interviews the guests, like Will I Am, who's there all the time. It's kind of like his base when he comes to London. He keeps half his wardrobe there that they have to store for him because he doesn't like to walk around with luggage. And he complains that his £20,000 per, per night suite is too big for him. Wow. Hotel for the Rich and Famous Thursdays BBC Two. Obviously, it's a terrible title. It's a clunky title, but it's a really good show. It's not as good as Young, Dumb, and Banged Up in the Sun. Obviously, that's but, true. You know, that's true. But it's actually it's a quality piece of documentary making. Oh, it sounds it. Yeah. <laughs> but can I've got a question. Yes. My issue often with those shows is that they can't really say anything too kind of interesting or juicy because people won't trust them or will get the arse on. So do you actually get a genuine look yes. into the... She's, so Jane, so the, the, the producer director is very good. At, I think she does, almost in her own little Louis Theroux type way of, of befriending the staff. So she gets them to tell little nice little stories about that you feel like they shouldn't quite be telling us mm. um, but, about how they deal with particularly the, the yeah. Yeah. So it's like there's one woman who tells a story about Bill Clinton arriving, and you think, oh, you know, it's interesting. So it is that they are kind of slightly more indiscreet than they probably should be without but, getting them into trouble. But and they're getting not them like Ozzy Osbourne was here snorting coke off the back they're of a Jack Russell. Not quite like that, but there are illusions. And just watching, like, they have to get a new tea service sorted out, and it takes months and months 25 meetings with 20 staff to sort out how you make tea for the bloody guests. Things like that are fascinating, I think. Yes. Yeah. Well, it is. Okay. <laughs> Hotels of the Rich and Famous, everyone. A hotel for the Rich and Famous, singular. Sorry. It's okay. 
Which segues us not at all onto our next segment, which we're going to call From the Archive. Uh, we're actually not, but it's basically that. So I want us to, before we go on to news, I'd like to talk a little bit, take a little nostalgic detour, uh, a little semi-regular, uh, sort of a one from the telly archives. We've done this once before, but I'd like each of us to champion a show from the past we think people probably haven't seen, but absolutely should see. I didn't read your email properly because that is not what I thought <laughs> no. we were doing. What did but you do think we were doing, Terry? He's I, added that. He didn't I say know. that that people haven't seen. Yeah, That's this a big is a bit, new of, a, bit, a bit new in the brief. We got <laughs> yeah. talk about some old telly, yeah. which has become talk about some old telly that no one's seen or heard of, right? Yeah, exactly, which is the whole Come on thing. then, James, you start. <laughs> yeah, what's your one that no one's seen? All right, fine, fine. I'll go first then, shall I? Uh, mine uh, is Banshee. Why do you yeah. say it in that way? <laughs> you say it like Banshee. you because say it is... like you invented the word and the show. <laughs> well, I don't want to blow my own trumpet. No, this is not my show. This comes from uh, David Schickler and Jonathan Tropper. Uh, and despite sounding like an Irish horror film, this was uh, a genuinely feeling, thrilling kind of like uh, uh, drama set in a small Pennsylvania town. Isn't uh, it always? Isn't it always? Uh, but it was an odd one because no one quite knew what it was because the title's ambiguous and the artwork for it was a slightly odd kind of tonal sort of illustration yeah, and it was remember. unclear what on earth this show was about but this had uh, Australian actor Anthony Starr as a, nev- as a never actually named criminal who's on the run from the Russian mob, uh, Russian mob. Uh, he assumes the identity of a deceased sheriff named Lucas Hood and takes over the Banshee Town Constabulary now the twist here is that this criminal who from then on we just call Lucas Hood is basically Jack Reacher like he is a badass motherfucker and thanks to the fact that he's not actually a cop he doesn't do things by the book and he routinely just hands people their asses and it's it's just in the way that Reacher is pure escapist wish fulfillment that's exactly what this is and it is so much fun um it's kind of made a little bit more complex by the fact that his ex and his daughter who doesn't know that she's his daughter also live in this town and it's run by an Amish gangster called Kai Proctor who's uh played by Ulrich Thompson um and he kind of has the town Ulrika in his Johnson. grip Ulrika Johnson yes Ulrika Johnson plays an Amish gangster um I'd watch that yeah, I would yeah. watch it's, that. I mean, that came out of left field. It surprised me. Uh, it was on Sky, wasn't it, this series? Yeah, Sky yeah it was Atlantic. a Cinemax show. Cinemax right, yeah, is the Sky slightly here. porny imprint of HBO. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it did. It had on Sky over yeah. here. But it's incredibly violent. Like, nice. incredibly violent. Uh, and uh, it's just so much fun. Like, he ends up with this little team of ne'er-do-wells, including Hoon Lee, who plays this sort of joyously camp and spectacularly sweary character called Job, who, again, is one of my favourite favorite screen characters. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's really good. It, it aired from, I think, 2013 to 2016. You can pick it up on DVD, and I believe... I did check. It's on, it's on Sky Box Sets. You can actually find it. Um, the four seasons of it. But, yeah, really, really good. Almost no one has watched it. That but is quite obscure. You have, you have actually done what you didn't tell us to do. Yeah, see, I yeah. fulfilled the brief. Yeah, you fulfilled well, your own brief. This is classic James Dyer. He really wanted to talk about something. Yeah. There was no segment existing for the one thing he wanted to talk about. Yeah. So he built that segment, yeah. didn't brief us on it, came fully prepped, and yeah. is now expecting yeah. us it's, to pull one out of our arms. Yeah. Should now be known as the Banshee segment. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. Banshee every yeah. week. I'm yeah. saying it. I've got one that isn't obscure at all, but I, when, so I was combing through Amazon Prime video, um, looking through you know, stuff they've got, because it does change quite a lot, you know, there's suddenly, suddenly a whole series of something will arrive, and they've got all seven seasons, all 156 episodes of a show that I feel is often underappreciated, The Good Wife. Oh, I love mm. it. The Good Wife, and the thing that 
that I think is notable about it is, is that often we're talking in, we're talking about cinematic TV and the stuff we cover in pilot TV. It's limited series. It's ten episode ones. It's sometimes those thirteen episode boring, you know, Marvel ones mm. on Netflix. It's rarely your mainstream network TV drama that runs for 22, 23 episodes a season. And it still maintains an incredible level of quality. And The Good Wife, for me, stands out. It's, you know, 22, three episodes across seven seasons. And the dialogue in that show is almost Mm. up there with, like, West Wing level. Yes, James, I'm referring to the West Wing. How dare you? It's so witty. I mean, that's such an untrue statement, but it is a good show. Honestly, it's clever, it's smart, it's witty great characters and it started out as this kind of fairly straightforward story of Juliana Marcus's lawyer character being betrayed by her politician husband played by Chris Noth of Sex and the City fame and it was fairly straightforward it then became this kind of meditation on law politics Mm -hmm. uh, media covering all the bases incredibly topical they they do stories ripped from the headlines yep. in a very smart clever way I think it's Bitcoin, a brilliant show Google they covered all the yeah, tech stuff all that stuff um, so yeah The Good Wife love it seven seasons Amazon Prime do available you, now do you watch The Good Fight I do watch well I watched the first season of The Good Fight I then didn't have time to watch the second season but I'm kind of holding it there The Good Fight's really good as well right yeah Christine Baranski yeah, yeah. and if you yeah. hadn't spent your time watching hotel documentaries you'd have watched right. season two yeah uh, yeah no I really enjoy The Good Fight I don't it's different, mm. but has shared has, DNA. Yeah. Like yeah. it's it's, yeah. it's uh, Rose Leslie kind of takes over yeah. in there, but Kush Gumbo's sort of in it, right? And the other thing I loved the I mean, the other thing I love about the Good Wife is how long they take to show the opening title sequence. Yeah, Often yeah. it'll be twenty five yeah. minutes it's before they get. Extraordinary, and I love that. I don't know something about that. I just think, when are they going to start this? this the show? coldest of cold opens. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. So yeah. For yeah, that no, reason among many, I love The Good Wife. Yeah, I think anyone who hasn't seen The Good Wife should watch all of them. And also watch The Good Fight, because Christine Baranski is fantastic in both. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like, really, really good show. It also has that slightly, not quite uh, David E. Kelly-esque surrealness to it, but there's an oddness to oh, it, yeah, which I, I yeah. delight in, yeah. uh, which I think is great. So, Terry, you've had enough time to make something up in the last five minutes. What have you got? Right, well, I'm going to say something weird. Well, it's not that weird. So, there was a show that I became uh, slightly obsessed with, and you know the levels of my obsession when I get into something. Um, when I lived in America, called Intervention. Now, Intervention is the most incredible documentary series, and its premise is very basic, which is um, there is an addict, drugs, sex, gambling, booze, shopping. I, I, I lost my patience at shopping, but anyway. And basically what happens is it's a documentary series. They're told that they are making a documentary about their addiction. They are filmed often in the throes of their addiction, down a ginnel at three in the morning, kind of making down a drug a deal. For anyone who's not from the north, that's some kind of alleyway. <laughs> Shooting up in a boot of a car. It's like, it's really, really hardcore. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not dissimilar. Okay. And uh, then what happens is they're also talking to their family at the same time and they're planning a secret intervention. Now, they kept this secret for decades because it was the same format every week for literally years and years and years and nobody seemed to clock on. But they would essentially call them to an agreed time and place and in that room would be their friends, their family and the interventionist who would be there to basically say, you know, you need to go into treatment. But it would be this amazing setup. You know, I like a formula. It's why I like my police procedural programmes. And And the apprentice. And the apprentice. (laughs) And they would basically then all have to say why they need to go into treatment and they'd all read letters to them. And it would be this showdown every week where they would basically, like, confront them. Sometimes they ran away. Sometimes they broke down and cried and went to treatment. 
and you never knew which way it was going to go. And then what happened at the end is they would leave either agreeing to go to treatment, which the majority of them did, refusing to go to treatment. Um, and then there would always be this amazing one minute ending where they would tell you what has happened to them since and you just never knew what it was going to be sometimes it would be like she's now been six months sober and you would see her at a clean living facility with like clear skin and flowing blonde hair and she'd be like feeding a duck or it would be like she's she's gone back to the life she has gone back to the life and she's like thrown it all away or some, like a few times they'd be dead like it is the most dramatic telly Ever. And I think there was 19 seasons of this. 19? 19 seasons. On what channel? Um, it was, um, oh, I can't remember. Oh, no, A&E. A&E. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was A&E yeah. and they are on Amazon. And I may have started re-watching them when I have insomnia <laughs> at the moment. Wow. So you weren't I... expecting that, were you? I honestly wasn't. Nor I would warrant. Was anyone else? So if anybody fancies joining me in an obsessive watching of other people's addictions, type intervention into Amazon. So to summarise from the Banshee segment, watch Banshee, watch The Good Wife, watch The Good Fight, and for the love of God, do not watch that. Let's <laughs> just say, Terry's right. So 15 seasons. Oh, 15, sorry. 15 Guess years. how many episodes they did in total? 275. Nobody. What I'm saying is, you're not going to run out anytime soon. Nobody needs that in their life. I've watched them all. Wow. I've watched them all, so I'm re-watching them at the moment. That is extraordinary. Wow. You're welcome. Okay, good. <laughs> Shall we get on to some news? What's been happening in the world? Well, something broke this morning. Oh, Some big that? news broke this morning. Daredevil yeah. has oh, yeah. been cancelled yeah. after three seasons, putting one of the final nails in the coffin of the Netflix-Amazon <laughs> well, partnership. Well, who saw that coming? I mean, quite. It's a, it's a shame, actually. Because, is it? No, it is. Because, <laughs> is like, the, oh, look at you haters. Uh, like, Daredevil season three, genuinely very good. And on the one hand, there's a part of me that's just like, you know what, it went out on a high, and actually that's not a bad thing. What kind of high? A good high. Like, not like an intervention high. Like, a, like an actual, the show was good high. Hi. Um, yeah, I like. I I think I understand why it's happened. We all understand why it's happened. That partnership is winding down. Disney want to do their own thing with Disney Plus. Uh, someone asked me on Twitter whether I thought the Netflix properties like Daredevil, Jessica Jones, stuff would end up resurfacing on Disney Plus. I really doubt it. I think no. they'll want to do their own thing. And also, I'm not convinced that the deal with Netflix would even allow for it. Um, mm. But even if it did, I think you know if they can do sort of like Loki, Scarlet Witch, things like that, they have bigger fish that they can happily fry on their streaming network um, but it is a shame we will get to the best of my knowledge another season of Jessica Jones there may be another Punisher was I right in saying like that's that mm, yeah, I don't maybe. know if they've made a decision on that one way or the other if they have I've missed it but it I mean it's pretty much you know yeah. the end time I feel like Netflix yeah. is sitting there going can we just let this whole thing go now this whole Marvel thing but they don't just... need it anymore I think uh, like early on like this was it was a really big coup for them to have these yeah. Marvel shows and, and they were one of the best things on the streaming service but now you know they're churning out stuff like Haunting of Hill has, they don't need no, they don't need the Marvel stuff anymore no. uh, I think they you know they, they have learned to walk on their own two feet uh, but it is a shame and I think you know it's a shame because Charlie Cox was an excellent daredevil Vincent D'Onofrio was a superlative kingpin uh, and you know they shall be missed I won't miss Dex's bullseye if I'm honest with you uh, a lot of people are saying, oh, we wanted to see what happened with Bullseye. Did you, though? Did you, though? Did you? <laughs> are a lot of people saying that? Even? I mean, someone did on yeah. Twitter. So I'm, I've never met one. I, I'm taking that as the okay. vocal minority. Fine. Uh, so that was that. Anything else? Dracula. 
was ah, announced. That's the lead, right, so Dracula. Mark Gatiss and Stephen Moffat's highly anticipated um, uh, version of Dracula. Yes. So obviously they did a sh- little show called Sherlock. And um, everyone's been waiting to see, well, who are they going to cast as, sh- as Dracula? Was it going to be some very, very famous person? <laughs> or Because remember, of course, when they cast Benedict Cumberbatch as Sherlock, he was not super famous at all. He was, you know, known. He was a respected, yep. admired, proper actor. Yep. But that turned him overnight into a global superstar. He'd been in Starter for 10. So, so they have inv- oh. had been in Starter for 10. Oh. Well done. <laughs> so they have unveiled Class Bang. No, I, I believe it's pronounced Clash Bang. There you go. Ooh. You are the expert Clash, on Scandinavian. Clash Bang Wallop. Is he Scandinavian? Um, anyway, he's a he, Viking. He's Amazing. A, See, they go. have the best names. He's been in. Saying. He's been in the affair, Borgen, and he is currently on the big screen in the Girl in the Spider's Web. Being, I have to say, I think he's fantastic in that film. Um, as the kind of part one of the villainous people in it, mm. he's very charismatic, and so I and he lo- he's got he just looks the part of Dracula. So it feels like good casting for me, and I'm just very excited by the prospect of Moffat and Gates working together again on a big. <sighs> I just think so. they're going to create something really, really special and really yeah, magical and yeah. take that character into probably a little bit more of an unusual Absolutely. direction than yeah. anyone else would. Yeah. Um, I was a little bit underwhelmed by that casting. I was a, but in, in another respect, I think he's almost like a blank Yeah, right. Slate, how, how are you page? underwhelmed by a man called Clash Bang? <laughs> I mean, there is that. <laughs> but I don't know. I, but I do think, so in, in many respects as an actor, he doesn't have huge baggage or he's not yeah. kind of synonymous with one massive character, obviously apart from Stark for 10. Um, so I think it, it allows him to become whatever they want him to be. I think it will be probably a much more textured, interesting, mm. funny... Right. Yeah. You may not think he's big, but I hear Clash Bang is a, a big noise in Scandinavia. Well done. Oh, yeah. yeah, very That's good. Sad. Yeah, but it feels I like- wish I could describe <laughs> the look of uh, <laughs> uh, pleasure on your own face. Yeah. If anybody wants a definition of the word smug, I can take a picture of James Dyer and send it to you. <sighs> good times. But it does feel like they've picked the best person for the role rather than, you know, find, find, yeah. find a yeah, star. Yeah. What are you basing that on? The fact that he's not that famous? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah because they could have, you know, gone for like, some. BBC could have gone, can you pick someone really, really famous and make this, you know, and then, no, we're going to cast We're going to cast Clash looks, Bang. That's Clash, yeah. Clash bang, uh, wallop. I'm basing that on. I think it's a good basis. Wow. For for something I don't know for a fact at all, but I'm completely assuming. (laughs) He's not famous, therefore he must be a really good actor. He is going to be really good in it. Also, did you see the Watchmen teasers that came out? Those pictures of yellow-faced policemen. (laughs) What the fuck was all that about? Uh, this is a slightly odd one. So it's two mysterious uh, sort of teaser pictures for the upcoming Watchmen TV series that's coming to HBO. Uh, this is Damon Lindelof behind this, and uh, he's kind of made it clear that it's not going to be an adaptation of the core Watchmen comic. It's going to be something that's like an original story, new faces, new characters, kind of happens within that world. Um, and it involved policemen with yellow masks covering their faces. I don't know what that means. Fine. But I'm interested to find yeah. out. This has got uh, Regina King in it. Uh, Don Johnson is in this as well. Jeremy Irons, Louis Gossett Jr., Tim Blake Nelson. It's actually got loads of really good people in it. So, uh, And also, it's Watchmen. I'm really interested to see this. I've got a lot of time for Dam- Damon Lindelof. So, oh, yeah. yeah. The Leftovers, one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Exactamundo. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> what? That was so uh, nerdy. The I can't do that. Is that something yeah. I can't pull off? Yes. I think that's correct. Did you see the excellent casting? You know we talked last week about Kidman, Hugh Grant in this HBO thing, The Undoing. Donald Sutherland added to the cast. Just Mm. when you thought the cast couldn't get any greater, you have 
the godlike genius of Donald Sutherland joining it. So I'm, I cannot wait for this bloody show. If it's anywhere near as good as the cast, and it's got big little eyes, and it's David Kelly's doing it. The whole thing is like absolutely dream scenario. I'm very excited about this. For me. Yeah, I'm with you, Bob. Good. I'm with you. You're not alone in this. Mm, good. James doesn't care. Look at his lack of caring. I, I mean, it's not that I don't care. I think it will be very good. And I'm thrilled to have yet another show that I have to watch. But <laughs> <laughs> it will be... No, I am. I That's am thrilled. That's what it's thrilled. all about. I am thrilled. One of those people complaining about having too many things to watch. This is my thrill face. Okay. Uh, did you hear The Sopranos news? About the film? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they cast Alessandro Nivola as Dicky Moltisanti. It's Christopher's father. So, um, all the accents are coming up oh today. Oh my god! Uh, no, this is exciting. So this is Christopher Moltisanti's father. He was like, uh, he's, this is in the the Many Saints of New York, the Sopranos uh, prequel movie, uh, and Alessandro Nivola has been cast as Dicky Moltisanti, and uh, he's. Whereas Christopher was, shall we say, perhaps not the most competent wise guy. Do we think that's fair to say? Yeah. Uh, his dad's mm. apparently a bit of a, a bit of a legend. So a bit you, bit of a. Funny, you know, I did interview him. Yesterday, Alessandro Nivola. Oh, which is, and you didn't know, and he didn't tell you because this is in keeping with your history. No, 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 no. quite the opposite. He <laughs> did tell me. I did know. All right. And all I, um, my interview is embargoed until it comes out later I next year. See. But I can, I think, reveal because it's embargoed about the actual thing he was talking about, which will be in Pilot TV magazine. But you can talk about but this. He talked. He, he asked him about this 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 project. Had not been announced, and he was so excited about it. I cannot tell you how excited he is about it. What did he say? Give us. You literally track. can't tell us how. I literally cannot tell you. All I can say is he's incredibly, spectacularly excited about it. Wow, you heard it here first. Yeah, officially. <laughs> Boyd and Woodward and Bernstein Hilton. Because I feel what I yeah, absolutely <laughs> my nose for a absolute <laughs> to the root of a big story. You know, no, there's. He said more about it, but obviously I cannot reveal any of that. But. I felt slightly like, you know, oh, why the, you know, Sopranos film, do we really need it? Prequel, blah, 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 blah. Mm. But he did get me thinking, oh, actually, this is going to be brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I just hit myself in the own head if you anyone did. was wondering what that noise was. <laughs> anyone wondered on this non visual broadcast thing, that was Terry hitting herself in the face with an iPhone. Um, I was uh, very excited to see the Luther trailer Lufa. this week. Lufa! Yeah. Series five. Featuring, what's the name at the end? <laughs> What's her name? What's her name? Oh, I love Ruth what's, her, what's her name is. Ruth Wilson, of the slightly disappointed Mrs. Alice. Yeah, but I mean, series five, we had a ex- couple of exclusive images in Empire this month, um, uh, which we are on the website right now, right, James? They are indeed. Um, what do we You're know? It's an exclusive image of Luther as you've never seen him before. He's sporting a red tie, a white shirt, and wait for it, a tweed overcoat. It's you quite are having no, off. I'm not. I'm not absolutely serious. Well, I think it was funny because I think um, in our news story we said uh, it brings him closer. This time he comes closer to evil, but also his demons come back to haunt him. He has to come. I'm like, oh, that sounds like mm. a completely original and new, um, a new plot line. Yeah. Um, but they're saying Christmas, right, Boyd? I can tell you. Festive. Oh. Festive. Festive. In fact, they corrected us and said, could you not say Christmas? Could you say festive season? I, Well, my strong feeling is it's going to be between in the New Year period. Ah, so if you post- think, let's just say in years gone by, New Year's Day is now the biggest mm. day for TV. So Sherlock mm. started on New Year's Day, eat the last few series. They've moved Doctor Who to New Year's Day. That's official from Christmas Day because more people watch TV on New Year's Day and it may well be the case that Luther starts on New Year's Day. I cannot 100% That would make it, it the single best start to January ever, yeah. but yeah. 
But funny you should mention that because I was going to mention some of because the BBC unveiled their their Christmas lineup basically yes. this week. So you've got that, which is obviously a huge and exciting thing. The ABC Murders, which is the new Sarah Phelps Agatha Christie adaptation with John Malkovich as Poirot. That is going it's to be amazing. So exciting! I may have seen the first episode. I may not be to control how excited I am about it. That's going to be on between Christmas and New Year on BBC One. They're showing Les Mis. That's going to be on in this mm. period. So I think it's quite quite different this year. The BBC. So a lot of these big flagship dramas that you would expect them to start maybe you know in mm. January or something. They're going to be. They're part of their festive schedule effectively. So Les Mis, which is their, a huge big six part non musical adaptation of that novel. Non musical. Non musical. Non musical. I know you're a huge musical fan. One day more. <laughs> It's going to be on in the festive period. So I think it's an exciting move by B. It's kind of embracing the fact that now quality cinematic TV drama is what everyone wants. So why not put that on as well as everything else on over the Christmas New Year period? And Doctor Who, New Year's Day. Wow. Exciting. And Watership Down, if you oh. really. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. Which we talked about just a couple of podcasts ago. Yes. What an amazing Christmas. It is fucking exciting. I think it's amazing that they are. they believe enough in the family audience to know that they're yeah. going to make time for yeah. those shows, not just your. Straight lays and although I am very excited about the Strictly Christmas special. No, no, oh, yeah. I, we're yeah, not that's discussing that's Strictly <laughs> come bastard dancing oh, on I'll this podcast. You, do you want to know? So that's all by BBC. Do you want to know what ITV's big drama is for Christmas Day? Go on, Torville and Dean. Are you kidding? Are they still I'm alive? Not kidding you. It's a dramatization of Torval and Dean's what, life. Doing the Bolero. Please yes. tell me it's like um, it's like <laughs> I the, it's like I, I was going to say it's like Margot Robbie. It's like uh, the yes. Itonia treatment of Torval and Dean. <laughs> you know what? I, I interviewed these, the dudes. The dudes playing Torval and Dean, and I did ask them about: Is it going to be like Margot Robbie? And it kind of is. Amazing. Oh my god! Yes. So is it completely like edgy and weird? Mm, not sure. I haven't seen it yet. I'm not sure how edgy and weird it's going to be. Bearing in mind actual Torval and Dean were consulted, but oh. you know, within that context, who knows? That's going to be. Do we know if they um, ever had the penetrative sex? <laughs> uh, I don't think that's explicitly dealt with necessarily in this show. I think the answer is no. I think the answer is no. Any no kind of dramatised biopic on yeah, Torval and yeah. Dean and not tackle the burning question, which yeah. is, did he put his penis in inside her vagina? Or anywhere else. Right. Her ear. Anyway, and that's, that's a perfect segue yeah, into yeah. a related I'm really glad I brought up Torval and Dean. Yeah. That Netflix are adapting Roald Dahl's children's classics yeah. Oh, yeah. to a series of animated events... Uh, Matilda, BFG, but you I know, have all that stuff, about this. the does, twits. Does this give them all... So they have all of those titles exclusively just in animation? I don't know. <laughs> I have questions. I have questions about this. If only Ted Sarandos was here. I refer you to Ted for that Get one. Get Ted on the phone. I don't know. Um... I am, I'll be honest, broadly indifferent to this because I don't like Roald Dahl. But you don't I'm sure, like Roald Dahl? No, it's what, all... you mean a palm value with some kind of anti-Semitic figure? Well, there's that, that too. Yeah. But also, I just found his stuff really twisted and wrong. Well, uh, you love twisted and wrong. You I mean, are twisted and wrong. I see what you're saying. It's not, I'm not saying it's not ironic, but I don't... Yeah, it never really struck a chord with oh, me. Oh, I love Roald Dahl, so I'm excited, yeah. Oh, I mean, well, you'll be, be watching it then. Do you know what? I've slightly been... I don't know why. It feels, I've, I've just been slightly more excited if it was live action. You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that would be really exciting. I mean, I'm kind of, I, I like the, the idea of them doing, you know, the sequel to Charlie and Chocolate Factory or whatever in animated form, but I'm not entirely massively but, thrilled. But I've, I've got loads of kind of questions around the animation, right? Because mm. because traditionally that animation has yes. always been very kind of traditional um, and whether they're going to do anything kind of vaguely radical with that animation because Roald Dahl it, when you see the original sketches and drawings yeah. it's all incredibly traditional and and 
period in a way. So how do you do animation in the modern age of Roald Dahl? What does that look like? I mean, they may stay super traditional and just keep mm, it in that I'd vein. I'd be amazed if they do. But if they do yeah. something, maybe they'll go nuts. Maybe it'll be super kind of experimental Roald Dahl. Because maybe. you're right, James, in some respects, in that the content is really, like, warped and weird yeah. and fascinating. It's a really yeah. rich ground to play in. But it is, I think Roald Dahl is almost indistinguishable from the kind of Quentin Blake artwork, Completely, isn't it? Yes, like, and yes. so to make it not look like that yes. would just be weird. Yeah. So... How does that sit and how, or are they going for a completely new kind of, because our generation, definitely that's immediately where your brain goes. Yeah. That's what we had as kids, right? But today's kids who are, are they going to feel completely differently? Is none of that going to connect with them? Are they are they aiming it purely at a young audience? So you're or saying, is it meant to be what is Roald Dahl for millennials? Yeah. Like fewer foxes and more avocados, that kind of thing. <laughs> exactly that. Yeah. James and the giant avocado. Oh, that's it, isn't it? James yeah. and the Giant Avocado. We've done it. We've cracked it. Yeah, brilliant. They're also doing a Young Wallander series. Did you see this? Yes, I did see that. Yeah, um, I mean inevitable. Yeah. <laughs> uh, did you watch the, the Kenneth Branagh Wallanders? Of course, loved them. Yeah, yeah they're, they're great. Did, I didn't see them. No, I heard good really things. Good. Yeah, fully right. in favour. All right. Well, I think okay. Well, I think that's all news that we've covered. So, shall we get on to the cream of this week's televisual crop and talk about some reviews? Yes. Um, let's begin with the happy-go-lucky feel-good hit that is BBC Two's Performance Live Love. This one's a proper lol fest. It's about people in crushing poverty, living in temporary accommodation in the run-up to Christmas and exploring the depths of their misery and dysfunction. And frankly, if any TV show screamed custom-made for Terry White more than this, I fucking don't know what it is. Right, so, <laughs> so first things first, I have to say that I had to watch this in two parts because it was it's not funny well because there was an episode of law and order svu that you had to fit in the middle because it was i found it so hard going quite honestly i spent much of it in tears um and i felt so distraught by bits of it that i did have to turn it off and kind of have a rest because even my threshold of misery was kind of breached <laughs> several times so as you say the premise of this is it's essentially the story of families who are um in temporary accommodation in the run-up to christmas i mean you know it's hugely relevant at the moment you know since 2010 alone number of homeless people in temporary accommodation has gone up 61%. They're estimating that essentially over the next two years, we're going to see more than 100,000 homeless households. And I think people forget about what what are called the hidden homeless, which isn't people kind of on the streets. It's people who are living in other situations where they technically have a roof over their heads, but they don't have a home. Um, and this actually began life as a theatre production. So it was on at the National, it was then at the Birmingham Rep, and um, it's part of a bigger initiative um, between... It's a, well, this one's a co-production between the National Theatre and the BBC, but Performance Live, which is what this is called, is essentially a two-year strand of programming that's bringing together artists, producers and, and arts organisations from across the UK. They're, um, oh, sorry, from across England. Um, and it's about bringing innovative pieces of live performance to television, essentially. Um, and the whole strand is, is produced and developed by the Arts Council England and Battersea Arts Centre. So you imagine with that kind of setup, they're going to be tackling kind of really challenging things. And it, it really doesn't get... Um, any more challenging than this. So it's the National Theatre's artist in residence who is called Alexander Zeldin, and he wrote and directed this um, for both the stage and now for TV. It's produced by David Schwimmer. Um, he's one of several producers, but he and uh, Zeldin 
or have collaborated before and are friends and he's been very kind of massively involved in this one so it's it is a really really tough watch and it is the story of these individual people who are brought together in that they are sharing this temporary accommodation which is kind of you know like a really basic house share they all have their own rooms where there's either you know there's one guy colin a middle-aged man man and his elderly mother there's a young family so it's a young couple called dean and emma their two kids they're expecting a third there's another woman there's and essentially they are all there kind of living their own realities um and are all brought together kind of just by circumstance of that they're sharing this space it's unrelentingly grim like there is no other way to <laughs> that's do, the poster it, quote isn't it, it? Is, unrelentingly it, grim it is but the and and it's kind of an endurance test and i think absolutely everybody should watch it because this is the reality for so many people in our country at the moment the writing is brilliant the performances the naturalism is incredible the kids in this are brilliant you know you really get a sense that this is an existence they're living the detail that is shown in it this isn't about the big moments there are the big moments you know they're sanctioned at one point which is incredibly distressing um it's about the, how the kids exist going to school when they're living in temporary accommodation but actually it's the smaller moments that are kind of devastating there's a there's a whole scene where colin is washing his mum's hair under the tap with fairy liquid um and it just it, it's it's just a devastating scene in what is essentially a devastating out it's hour long um i mean i it's it's difficult to say like you absolutely must watch this but boyd's right you absolutely fucking must watch this it's it's incredibly well made the just visually i mean the the color palette used in this is is this sepia and this brown and this green and some there's some incredible exterior shots which really just give you a sense of the kind of the visual despair that surrounds people in this kind of actual despair it's it's a remarkable piece of craft i'd say and the performances are outstanding but it is you know and it's based on real people's stories and real people's experiences and what strikes you is kind of exactly that which is this is a snapshot of what is unfortunately not a massively rare situation for people who are, you know, have been forced out by potentially rising rents, by the changes in kind of benefit structure, all of these things kind of conspiring together to make this a reality for so many people. Um, I think it's a really important piece of telly. It shares stuff with a lot of other social realism, so people will definitely make kind of um, draw parallels with the likes of Ken Loach. It's, it's It could do something similar um, for the kind of hidden homeless and the um, place of temporary accommodation that maybe I, Daniel Blake, did um, for the kind of Department and Work of Pensions and, and what that story did in terms of shining a light on that specific part um, of where we're seeing a societal breakdown completely, basically. Um, so it's incredible, but it is incredibly difficult. I mean, nine o'clock on a Saturday night, mm. you know, I think that's basically it finishes at 10 you can be down the pub to have a last order and a, st- a stiff drink after it if you if you time it correctly it is absolutely something that should be watched I hope it does get watched it is BBC2 it is a Saturday night but it's a remarkable piece of television that I think it people will look back on in years to come and it will absolutely represent a reality of um the UK in 2018 wow any advance on unrelentingly grim boy? No, yes, it, 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 I agree with all of that. Just to say, I think it's the classic example of drama, of a TV drama tackling something, showing you a world 
that you know exists from the news, that you hear about this kind of situation in the news, this kind of Kafkaesque nightmare that people who find themselves, who no thought of their own on benefits or on universal credit or whatever, might go through. But you kind of, it maybe doesn't even hit home, even in a documentary form. But when it's dramatised like this, because it's so well made and it's so detailed, as you say, it's it's kind of, it, 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 there's something beautiful about the way it is dramatised. That it's really, it's inc- super powerful and it completely shows you something, well, you know, middle class, spoiled twats that, that we are, just confronts you with this situation in an incredibly immediate, powerful way. So I, that's why I felt I feel like everyone should watch it, including you, James. And um, and yeah, it's like a got Kathy come home kind yeah. of. You know, it's really that we've never seen this world, this particular kind of situation dramatized. I haven't on TV or in film. It's slightly different to the, to the identical back situation. So. Everyone should watch it, yeah. Well, nothing floats my boat quite like unrelentingly grim, so I shall be sure to check that out. Uh, In a slightly less depressing vein, we have the uh, second season of The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which returns to Amazon. In case you missed this the first time around, uh, this comes from the mind of Amy Sherman Palladino, who created Gilmore Girls, uh, and stars Rachel Brosnahan as the eponymous... Eponymous? Eponymous. 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 Sorry. The eponymous Marvel who is a 1950s housewife who decides to say fuck the patriarchy and sets out to become a stand-up comic. So this is, uh, season two picks up where the last season finale, as is traditional, left off, uh, when her husband catches the tail end of her show, which centres in no small part around their marriage and the dysfunction thereof. Uh, He is displeased. Uh, Full disclosure, I didn't watch season one, but there was a very handy catch-up on Amazon, so we're all good. Uh, This is a sort of a dramedy, I guess, that leans suddenly to me more into the comedy. It leans into that pretty heavily, uh, which I guess you'd expect from the subject matter. Like Brosnahan, who a lot of people will remember as Rachel Posner, who Doug murderises in House of Cards. Uh, She's really good in the title role. I really enjoyed her. She has an incredible charisma kind of on and off the stage in that very sort of heightened period way. Uh, And there are some really fun moments in the season opener, including a French stand-up set where Midge gets someone from the audience to sort of translate into French in real time, which is loads of fun. Uh, And there's this great sort of uh, interlude where her agent gets abducted by a pair of wise guys uh, to hilarious effect. I enjoyed that a lot as well. Uh, If I'm honest with you, the humour maybe didn't land 100% with me, but, and I'm the first to admit, this might be more due to my nature as a natural fun sponge than any actual comment on sort of Sherman Palladino's writing. So, you know, take from that what you will. You, you, I mean, you probably enjoyed it more than me, didn't you, Boyd? I am a fan, yeah. I think she does a very good trick of... It's it's not hilariously funny, mm. um, but it's 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 funny enough to keep you. And it's but it's because it's totally believable and yes, real. So it's, it is. She, it's the authenticity is almost more important than gags, etc. But there are situations of her mum moving to Paris and mm. kind of running out on her on on the dad, played by Tony Shalhoub, is was my favourite plot of this of this start of this season because it's it's her mum rebelling against the world, wanting to have you know just change her life, not be someone's, not be the professor's wife. And I thought that was really fun it was funny it was interesting um and i believed it and i think that's the thing the whole thing's got a slight mid-80s woody allen vibe to me mm. which is his golden period you know where he did a lot of films about based about women like alice for example the kind of mia farrow period mm. if you like before it all went horribly wrong <laughs> um and it's just got that wit and that 
incredible storytelling confidence. I, I think it's a really good show. I think it's Amazon's kind of best show apart from Transparent, which is also now facing various challenges mm. um, in the Me Too e- period. I think it's it's probably their best show now. You know, and I and I think it's a really good quality piece. Of I work. hadn't seen uh, season one. Nothing about it appealed to me, and then I forced myself to watch this for this very podcast, and I loved it. I, well, season so I watched season two, mm. and it's just. The lightness, the the humour probably connected more for me than it did for you. The delicacy. I mean, from a filmmaking perspective, there were a couple of tracking shots that oh, were yeah. just beautifully, beautifully done. Um, I love the lightness, the bounce, the play. The whole Paris plot in the right, first yeah. episode is just beautifully done. So, I mean, I love how hammy it is in parts. That totally works for me. Um, so I'm now kind of like, I'm going to go back now to yeah. the beginning of season one and give it a proper crack. It is really, really good. There's, it won, you know, it won the Emmy for Best Comedy of the Year. It's, it's, you know, she won the, she won Best Actress, I think. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a really quality show. Definitely. There you have it. Maisel is marvellous. Uh, finally, we have the third season of Sky Atlantic's Fortitude, which... I refuse to watch as I haven't seen the first two and I really, really want to see the first two and I refuse to jump into season three and therefore ruin the other ones. In fact, so I apologise for being out of Tooch because <laughs> it stars Tan- Stanley Tucci. And, well, it doesn't and, anymore. And he's, he's yeah. called the Tooch. Yeah. It yeah. did star Stanley Tucci. Um, Spoiler! Christ! All right. Anyway, this is the final. So there have been two series so far. This is this four part is kind of like putting it to bed. Right. This is the final farewell to Fortitude, which I think has been. You know, when you go back to when it first started on Sky Atlantic, it was their homegrown attempt to do a big, proper cinematic. You know, expensive, lush crime drama. Yeah. And it started out. The whole idea of it was that Fortitude was this Arctic town with the least amount of no crime. In fact, so like it was everyone was happy. You know, lived their lives, working, doing whatever they're working finding fish fishing for fish <laughs> as they do industrial yeah. fishing and that was that and then there was a big crime but it turned into quite quickly it turned into a kind of body horror weird um almost borderline sci-fi that there, there were like you know strange creatures whose whose um impact on people's on human minds were kind of weirdly mystical almost this one starts it's it's, it's really really it, it's maintained that weirdness so mm. now that the two cops arrived to investigate what happened to the mayor of the town from the last season who was killed in a kind of mob attack <laughs> and the the character um, there's, a, there's a kind of really funny um, kind of former um, chief of police by Richard Dorman from Game of Thrones who drinks um, the urine of reindeer and this has a terrible effect on his mind he's completely <laughs> doolally did you call it urine? urine yes okay. urine? Urine? I mean, urine. Piss? Urine. We. Okay, we. Um, Dennis Quaid in it is a permanently drunk bloke wielding a shotgun who kind of runs around naked in the snow. I mean, that's just Dennis it's, Quaid. There's a, there's, a, there's a scene in which someone dances with a corpse. There's a completely bonkers new character who I won't reveal what she is because there's a whole reveal of her at the end, which, which is like, it, it's like something out of like Moonraker period James <laughs> Bond. It's wacky, but I think it's fun. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not going to kind of, it's not like going to win awards for most impressive drama of the year or anything, but it is really, really amusingly silly and over the top. There we go. It Fortitude. Sky Atlantic and Now TV on Thursday at nine o'clock. Well, I think that sounds a lot like, I'm going to say that Maisel's probably our pick of the week. No. Simply because it's not thoroughly mind-crushingly <laughs> no. depressing. Love, performance live, Saturday, 9pm, BBC Two, just fucking watch or, it. Or watch performance live, and then to stop yourself from murdering yourself, then watch Maisel afterwards to yeah. yourself up. Oh, yes, perfect double, double bill. Double bill. But you have to watch performance live, love, yeah, absolutely. And Maisel is lovely, but yeah. There you go.
We've, we've, but that's you, Saturday James, night we're sorted. talking to you. That's you have to watch. Yeah, I am like talking that. directly to you. We're going to strap you down and force you to watch it. Shit. Well, and on that note, that is it for yet another episode. Uh, as ever, you can feedback on the show on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Pilot TV Mag. And if you have a spare five minutes between now and next week, do head over to iTunes and bestow upon us a five-star rating, you know, and perhaps some comments that don't involve telling us how great Terry is and pointing out that I sound like a sociopath. Uh, until then, however, uh, ter- Terry has working-class misery porn to watch, Boyd has famouses to hang out with, and I need to find some replacement Vikings and change my name to Kjartan Ragnarsson. Or, you know, just call me a massive canute. Uh, pilot out. <laughs>